0: I was just talking to my wife earlier and, and I told her I'm doing this interview with you. <laughs> so I promised to take lots of notes. I think out of all the things that I've done, all the interviews that I do, I think she's the most <laughs> interested in this one. And let, let me just start with this. Is, is menopause a bad thing?
1: No more than you would consider puberty or pregnancy bad things.
0: That's Lisa Moscone. She's an associate professor of neuroscience and the director of the Women's Brain Initiative at Weill Cornell Medicine. She published a groundbreaking study in 2021 about what really goes on in the brain during menopause. And it's far more fascinating than you probably realized. For starters, her team found that the brain actually gets remodeled during that specific time of life. There is this sort of rewiring that goes on. Different parts of the brain shrink, others grow. What she discovered was entirely new.
1: So what my research has shown and other people's research has shown is that the brain does not age in a linear fashion. Not true at all when it comes to women's brains. Women's brains go through phases. And these phases are really cued by biology, and especially by your hormones.
0: During menopause, your estrogen levels drop drastically. That affects the reproductive system, obviously. But it also leads to this remodeling of parts of the brain responsible for the connection between the brain and the ovaries, the neuroendocrine system. Other things happen as well due to that drop in estrogen, including an increase in cholesterol, a negative impact on your cardiovascular health, and yes, your brain function. It leads to many of the classic symptoms of menopause. Think hot flashes, fatigue, trouble sleeping, brain fog. In fact, Moscone hopes that her work on menopause could help us one day understand why women are at higher risk for Alzheimer's disease. Something that I should add is very personal for her.
1: I was raised in good part by my grandmother who developed dementia just Mm. as I was finishing university. Mm. And my grandmother was one of four siblings, three sisters and one brother. All three sisters developed dementia and died of it. And the brother did not, even though the brother lived exactly to the same age. Hmm. So that for me was traumatizing.
0: But as I've now learned, menopause isn't all bad.
1: I think your wife my might, might appreciate it. <laughs> there is an upside to menopause that we don't really talk about very often, that people are not aware of, and I think it's fascinating, so a lot of my research is now looking at both the vulnerability that we need to address so that we can provide better solutions and better care for women in menopause, but I'm also looking at the resilience.
0: Look, there's still a lot we don't know about menopause, and there's a reason for that. In fact, part of the reason Moscone wanted to study it, part of the reason my wife was so excited for this interview, is that women's health often gets ignored. It's overlooked, it's underfunded, and that's been true throughout the history of medicine.
1: The fact that estrogen has an impact on the brain was only discovered in 1996. For context, men landed on the moon through the years prior.
0: On today's episode, the menopausal brain, the good, the bad, and the unknown of a biological process natural to half the human population. How can you prepare for the stages of menopause and even the benefits of making the transition? I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. I want to make sure I got the terms correct here: perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause. When when are they, and what what's the differences between those things?
1: That's a really good question, and I I think I find that there is so much confusion. Like even with our patients, we have hundreds and hundreds of women working with us at this point. And when we ask, are you in menopause? The answer is always, Mm. I have no clue what it it actually means. I really, I don't know. And it is a complicated system that can be simplified into three major phases. So pre-menopause is when you have a regular menstrual cycle. You are in your reproductive life. It goes, it starts with puberty. And it's your entire lifespan for as long as you have a regular menstrual cycle. Now, if you never have a regular menstrual cycle, then we can talk about it. But let's say, on average, most women have a regular menstrual cycle for as long as it's regular and you don't skip periods. That's pre-menopause.
0: So after puberty, you're essentially in pre-menopause <laughs> yes, <it's
1: so> weird. <laughs> for
0: decades. <laughs> That's kind of a strange way to define it. Now you're in the pre-menopause phase for several decades of your life. Yeah, I want okay, to think so, ahead, okay, so
1: you know? <laughs> you want to think
0: ahead. Yeah. Okay, so premenopause, and then and
1: then perimenopause? And then is there's the next perimenopause. Thing? So perimenopause is divided into two phases. There's an early perimenopause phase when you start skipping your period, but you still have a fairly regular, so you maybe you skip one month, but then you have a period or two months and then you have a period. So up to three months, that's the early mm. perimenopausal phase. Once you start skipping your period for more than three months at a time, that's the later perimenopausal phase. And it's getting you okay. closer to your final menstrual period, which is the last period you will ever have in your life. And that moment in time is called menopause, which I think it's- That moment in time. that, That time, like your last menstrual period for at least 12 consecutive months, that's when you diagnose menopause, which is very confusing for so many women because it's a bit of a guessing game. Like you have to wait every month to be sure that this is actually your last menstrual period and you you only you're really it's only confirmed after one year of not having any periods so then they'll be like okay now you're officially menopause let's say that then you have a period boom you're back in period menopause and you have to start counting again which is a very strange way of doing things however let's say right. that you you no longer have a menstrual cycle you're period three for at least 12 months you at menopause now you begin your postmenopausal life
0: is that is there post menopause that is a thing yes. post menopause yes it's it's the okay.
1: postmenopausal phase and it's divided again into two sub phases sub stages there's the early postmenopausal phase which is about um 6 years since the last menstrual period when you still have most of the symptoms and then there's the late postmenopausal phase, which is more than six years after your last menstrual period. And usually the symptoms dissipate. Usually the Mm half-flashes go away, you start sleeping a little bit better, mood stabilizes, and usually the brain fog goes away. It's not universal. For many women, the symptoms last longer than that. But on average, that's when there's, there's relief, there's palpable relief
0: and, and can you give us some rough ages here? I realize yes. that it's different. Yes. But what, what ages are we talking about?
1: So, the average age at period menopause is 47. Hmm. But the transition can last anything between two and 10 years. Hmm. So, you can be in period menopause with an irregular cycle for usually a minimum of two years, in the max of 10 to 14 years. So, it could be a really long. Oh. Um journey, the average is about seven, between five and seven years. Which is not picnic. It's it's a nice. long time, five to seven years with possible symptoms and, and disturbances and whatnot. Then the final um, the final menstrual period usually occurs around age 51, 52 in Western society. If we look at the entire world, it's actually 49. The average age of menopause is 49, which really defies the stereotype of menopause being a thing that happens to you when you're old.
0: We, we have this perception of menopause. Um, obviously, there's the physical symptoms, hot flashes and things like that. My wife said, great, you know, that sounds just fantastic. <laughs> Something to really, really look forward to. But, but you know, is she, is she right? Is, is, it, is it sort of a four-letter word? Menopause in, in, when it comes to you know when you, how you talk about it
1: No, not necessarily um, no more than you would consider puberty or pregnancy bad thing and what i what I try to always explain is that biology really operates on a continuum, and we tend to see these life events as being separate and unrelated to each other, but that is not the case hmm. menopause is the third of the three Ps, these three phases that the female brain goes through in life, which are puberty, pregnancy, and perimenopause, which is the transition to menopause. And those three phases are seen very differently, culturally and in society. But from a neurological perspective, from a brain perspective, they have a lot in common. In all three phases, come with vulnerability. Like you said, there are a lot of unpleasant symptoms that can arise during menopause, but also with resilience. And I think the resilience aspect has been completely overlooked in medicine, in science, and certainly in culture. I think that mindset is extremely important for the experience of menopause. So then the reaction is not like, oh my God, I wish I could avoid it. But more like, oh, let's see what I can learn from this life event. How can I embrace it? How can I live it without pain, without suffering, and hmm. with knowledge and with confidence?
0: You know, I, I imagine that, with, as with most things in life, th- there are upsides and downsides. Just about everything, there's goods and bads. But what is the upside of menopause?
1: We start with the upside. Usually, usually, everybody wants to talk about the downsides. I'm very happy I, to that. I'm an
0: optimistic guy. I want to know what the upsides are.
1: No, that's great. It's a wonderful way to start. So we really need to think about these life events, these hormonal life events, as um, from an evolutionary perspective. So puberty, all these brain changes that take place during puberty are deemed necessary for the brain to mature, so these children can finally master impulse control. The prefrontal cortex, which is that part of the brain in charge of multitasking of language, attention and focus and managing your instincts, it's finally maturing enough that it has control over the rest of the brain. And at the same time, your brain regions that are responsible for empathy. In theory of mind, which is mentalizing or putting yourself in another person's shoes, are developed enough that you can actually become a proper member of society. Pregnancy. All these changes that are very, they're not too different from what happens during puberty shape your brain in such a way that the limbic part of your brain, the primitive part of your brain, comes back on the front. Why? Because you have to protect your kids. You have to turn into the mama bear that will spot the little toddler in a sandbox, follow toddlers, and come to the rescue in a microsecond. And you have to be able to to understand nonverbal clues for basically years. That brings us to menopause. It's the same brain regions that are changing again. But this time, the change brings up perhaps more symptoms. Maybe because we're a little bit older as well. So there's the hot flashes, there's the anxiety, there's depressive symptoms, there's brain fog, there's memory lapses, but there's more empathy. And that is considered to be very important for the next phase of your life, where you're no longer reproductive, but you're very much supposed to be still active and productive, you have more empathy because that's your time in your life in theory when you can really help others grow develop evolve you turn into the elder woman the wise woman the so many cultures around mm-hmm. the world celebrate whereas a western society basically says you're useless i'm sure mm-hmm. you know about the grandmother hypothesis of menopause what's that what's the grandmother hypothesis oh okay good So... There are two hypotheses, major uh, hypotheses or theories around menopause. There's one school of thought that says menopause is a fluke, is a complete accident, it's a freak of nature. Women were all supposed to die after menopause. (laughs) That's Darwin, right? But the idea was that menopause is very strange. So there are very few animal species all over the world they go through menopause and, and mm. outlive it.
0: Fascinating.
1: So, we can say there's something special about human menopause. And there are some parallels, for instance, with orcas or killer whales, yes. because they live in matriarchal societies. So, the children stay with the mother for life, the father goes <laughs> about his business. But the kids actually live with the mothers and then the grandmothers. And the grandmothers, when they're, once they're no longer reproductive, because they're postmenopausal, really become the main source of sustenance for their grandchildren. They find all the good salmon. They lead them to the safest places. They really kind of lead the pack. And people think that something similar happened in human societies. This is the grandmother hypothesis, which is the opposite theory that says evolution is not as misogynistic. It's those who conceived it, right? Maybe there's something, maybe nature actually likes women and found a way to keep us alive because we're actually helpful, even if we're not bearing kids every minute. That is the grandmother hypothesis that says postmenopausal women are actually helpful and there's a reason that they're on the planet. And so that if you interpret that from a neurological perspective, it makes perfect sense that the brain would adapt and change in a way that would support this new role in society that postmenopausal women developed that really helped the survival of the species.
0: I had not heard that before, the grandma hypothesis. But you know what? It makes sense. And despite what society tells us, I think there is a case to be made that there are upsides to menopause. It doesn't have to be a dirty word. And in other cultures, even other species, it's an honor, a rite of passage. I really love that. After the break, tips and tricks for a more manageable menopause. We're back with Chasing Life. So far in this episode, we've learned about the stages of menopause, when it typically occurs, how it's fairly unique in nature, Women's brains undergo serious changes during this period, some of which may contribute to a higher risk for Alzheimer's disease. Moscone's 2021 study involved scanning the brains of 161 women between the ages of 40 and 65. All were in premenopause, perimenopause, or postmenopause. You've alluded to this a couple of times, but how challenging, Dr. Moscone, is it to do this research? Oh. To look at... <laughs> I mean, to look at menopause and the menopausal brain. Yeah, How hard is it to to publish and get this research done?
1: It's very challenging. It's really demanding. I'll tell you a couple of reasons for that. The first one is that the funding. Fundings are just not quite there. I was looking at the federal budget the NIH the federal budget for the past reporting period and of the entire 20 billion dollars do you know how much was given to menopause research mm. 16 million
0: out of 20 billion though Wow
1: yeah and that is for everything no brains anything related to menopause including brains and including therapies. So the, major, the majority of it were actually allocated towards testing hormone replacement for different things that had nothing to do with the brain. And then there were like three grants given to um, Alzheimer's disease research.
0: It, it is it is kind of amazing. and And, you know, all kidding aside, you know, obviously I'm married. I have three teenage daughters as well. <laughs> And it, it is it is kind of amazing just even talking about this podcast with them and, and telling them that I was going to interview you. Thank you. just even the basic terms. What is menopause? When does it occur? How long does it last? What is really going on? Let alone what is the impact on the brain? Yes. There seems like there's so little that's that's known about it. So I, I, I really applaud your work. So So when you when you um, think about this, Is estrogen really at the heart of what is happening with the symptoms that women have during menopause,
1: as well as these brain changes? The vast majority of studies has focused on estrogen, and they have shown consistently that one type of estrogen called estradiol is the master regulator of female brain health. And master regulator means that it's basically like the orchestra conductor is this one key player that knows every aspect of the business and is able to help a little bit everybody else. So it's like the social butterfly inside your little brain that is able to make sure that everybody's doing their job and do it well. So for instance, estradiol or estrogen, more in general is really supportive of neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability to adjust and evolve to the experience from the outside into internal changes and stressors. So it's the, the brain's ability to remain resilient um, to whatever life uh, brings to, to your table. Then it's really important for neurogenesis, which is the growth and birth of neurons. And when we're older, it's important for the way the neurons branch out. So all the different connections between different neurons are much stronger when estradiol is high. And then it's really important for blood flow, it stimulates blood flow and circulation to the brain, which means that the brain gets more oxygen and more nutrients so it can work better. And it's key for immune function inside the brain. It is neuroprotective. I would say if nothing else, if, if there's one take-home message, is that estrogen for women and testosterone for men are not just hormones that are involved in reproduction. They're not only important for fertility, they're also extremely important for brain health and brain function. They keep your brain active, they keep your brain energized, they keep your brain young because they also have an anti-aging effect.
0: Why is it that women are more likely to develop Alzheimer's? And what is the connection to menopause? So
1: when I was doing my PhD, I decided to focus exactly on that question. And what people would say to me was, well, you know, sweetheart, women live longer than men. And Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. disease is a disease of old age. So unfortunately, more women than men end up developing dementia. Nearly two out of every three patients with Alzheimer's disease are women. For many, many years, we had no explanation other than women live longer than men. It's just longevity. The biggest turning point in this sense was work that we and others were doing, showing that Alzheimer's disease is not a disease of old age, but rather it starts with negative changes in the brain years, if not decades before the clinical symptoms of Alzheimer's disease become evident. So that changed my entire question. The question that was, if Alzheimer's disease is a disease of midlife, what happens to women and not to men in midlife that could potentially explain the higher prevalence of Alzheimer's disease down the line? And for a long time, I had no clue We looked at Mm. genetics, we looked at family history, we looked at risk factors for Alzheimer's, we looked at cholesterol, we looked at triglycerides, we looked at blood pressure, we looked at diet, exercise. We looked at everything. And the explanation, yeah, there was a trend, there was always a trend. But they could never find one thing that could really split up the data. And then what happened is, it's not me, but my study coordinators who were testing a person, a woman, 50-year-old, like a young young woman who was doing cognitive testing with us, and she had to stop. And she said, I am sorry, I just cannot continue. I'm having half-flashes one after the next. (sighs) And we're like, half-flashes? Menopause? And so we went back and we asked every woman in the study about their menopausal status. And we classified them as having a regular cycle no longer having a cycle, being in menopause, and being in the transition when the cycle is kind of irregular and you're having half flashes, night sweats, and all this stuff. 100% separation.
0: Wow. Very clear.
1: Very clear. Okay,
0: let's pause there for a second. Mosconi and her team were studying Alzheimer's when they stumbled onto the idea that a potential midlife trigger of the disease could be related to the transition to menopause. As estrogen declined during perimenopause, the production of certain proteins linked to Alzheimer's began to pop up, at least in some women. Now, this may be a big step toward understanding why women are at higher risk for Alzheimer's. But the truth is, there's still a lot that we don't know about the disease or exactly how the menopausal transition factors into all of this, which is why Moscone, who told me she's in her 40s and premenopausal, is now taking things into her own hands.
1: Oh my goodness, I've been thinking so much about it, and I have changed my whole routine to prepare for menopause. I have changed my diet, I have changed my exercise, I sleep, I prioritize sleep hygiene in a very, very specific way. I do stress reduction, I get rid of all sources of environmental toxins in the house as best I can. And I I just do a lot of things that are more lifestyle based. And I'm also tracking, you know, hormones and cycles and preparing mentally and kind of trying to decide whether or not I would take hormones. The problem is the transition is when all the symptoms can take place, is when you can have hot flashes, sleep disturbances. I'm worried about that, the brain fog, the memory lapses. I can't afford to have any of that. I need to. To be, you
0: know, sharp. Well, it seems like you'd want to get the benefits of the postmenopausal brain, which again is this brain that is strengthened by that pruning and, and then strengthening that goes yes. on, that gives you the resilience, gives you the empathy. You'd want to get all that without having some of these very tough symptoms in between, the brain fog, the memory problems, depression, anxiety, to say nothing of the, the physical symptoms, the hot flashes. So you want both, You want the benefit of a postmenopausal brain without the the high price to pay.
1: Absolutely. I used to exercise for different reasons. And then I I now actually focus on exercises that are known to support hormonal health and brain health both, which is aerobic exercise. It's not my thing. I'm more of a yoga and Pilates (laughs) type of person, but aerobic exercise is when you get the most bang for your buck. It just is true. And it's the one type of physical activity that's been more consistently shown to reduce half flashes and to alleviate the intensity of half flashes. Prevention is important and addressing the symptoms as you have them is important and taking care of your brain after menopause is also really important. So these are all the things you want to do. And lifestyle is, is important. Medical care is important. Sometimes hormones can be helpful. They say for women who are younger than 60 without an existing um, risk of breast cancer, so women who are free of cancer, healthy women up to age 60 can safely take hormones, estrogen and estrogen with with progesterone, depending on what kind of regimen you need, without fear of adverse outcomes
0: do women's brains still change through menopause if they are taking these hormone replacements?
1: There's hardly any research that's been done to really confirm that. What research has shown, and I think everybody agrees on, is that there is a window of opportunity for estrogen action in the body and brain, which means you need to take it as you transition to menopause or when you are in early post-menopause, which is that one to six years window after your last menstrual period. That's a great time to take hormones if you choose to do so. If you take them much later in life, they actually don't seem to have much of a good impact, at least not on brain health. And I I just want to say one one more thing. I did not mean to say that the risk of breast cancer is not real. It's just that we need to put it in context. It's not as high or as absolute as we were led to believe. When you contextualize it, it's a similar risk as drinking two glasses of wine per day.
0: Lisa Moscone is an associate professor of neuroscience and director of the Women's Brain Initiative at Weill Cornell Medicine. Her book, The Menopause Brain, comes out in March 2024 and goes much deeper into this phase of life and how women can make it work for them. I have to tell you, this particular conversation was fascinating, it was enlightening, not just as a doctor, but as a husband and as a father of three daughters. Most of us have loved ones who have or will go through menopause, so it's a topic all of us would do well to learn more about. That's it for this episode of Chasing Life. Next week on the podcast, kids' brains, sports, and concussions.
1: I know there's always this uh, push that you want to get back as soon as possible from any injury as an athlete, but this is your brain and you only get one.
0: Thanks for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Our podcast is produced by Aaron Mathewson, Madeline Thompson, David Rind, and Grace Walker. Our senior producer and showrunner is Felicia Patinkin. Andrea Kane is our medical writer and Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. Dan Jula is our technical director and the executive producer of CNN Audio is Steve Lichtai. Special thanks to Ben Tinker, Amanda Seeley, and Nadia Kunang of CNN Health.